Michael here. Just wanted to let you know that at the beginning of this episode, there was an issue with the audio where uh, you could hear me, but not the guest, Matt. So we corrected it pretty quickly, but there's a couple minutes where, again, his audio is not coming in. So I'm going to cut that out, and this episode will start right as we've corrected his audio. We kind of do a soft reboot, so you really, there's no substantial difference to the episode. Just letting you know why it's going to jump in in the middle. Thanks, and now on to the show. Okay, I think I've got that fixed. Again, you would think I've never done this before. <laughs> every I, I change no settings ever, and yet every time I start this, something's different. So, oh yeah. All right. So, the the beginning is just gone. We're not going to go back. It's too late. So let's start back over with introducing who you are, um, mm. and we'll go from this. We don't do the whole spiel again, the catacomb. No one cares about that. Um, so Because I guess they heard me, so they got my part of it. So, right. I, so I apologize for that. So please, once again, Matt, what is Queens of Adventure? So Queens of Adventure is a podcast and live show. It's a drag comedy actual play experience uh, where we have drag queens playing Dungeons & Dragons. Excellent. So again, I, 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 you know, I'm so sorry. Um so we, we chatted a little bit again. People might have heard my side, so maybe some context clues. They might have figured out what was going on. Uh, so my kind of question was, like, how it got started. Sound like you had a, a drag queen comedy show. Uh, your partner is involved in game design. Uh, so there, there was a lot of elements that brought it together. So when, it, you, when you first started and you were doing the comedy show, was D&D just a way to frame the comedy is that why it was brought in? Like, I guess I'm trying to figure out like how the pieces fit together in the Lego to make the thing. Yeah. So um, for literally years, uh, James and I have been talking about um, just the the concept. We're like, you know, wouldn't it be funny if we had drag queens playing Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, like, haha, that's such a funny idea. And we just like did nothing with it. And then uh, what really came to a head was when I went to um, uh, DragCon in Los Angeles. Oh uh, gosh, uh, two years ago, I guess. And that's the big. Uh, convention that um basically is themed around rupaul's drag race mm -hmm. and so it's a lot of the reality show contestants and just drag queens everywhere and makeup people and everybody um and you know i had a lot of conversations there uh, about the idea of drag queens in a fantasy role-playing context and people were like oh yeah neat you should do that and then when i got home i was like yeah that is neat i should do that <laughs> And so that's how we started talking. I had zero experience with Dungeons and Dragons at that point. Uh, it was all James and um, he was very aware of fifth edition having come out recently and being really compatible with entertainment and performance uh, mm -hmm. in a way that previous uh, editions um, were not. So uh, we started talking about like, okay, well, how would we, how would we do this? Um, from the beginning, it was, you know, the, the, amalgamation of drag comedy dnd storytelling it was all there together but um, we had to a lot of alchemy to figure out to, mm -hmm. to make it all fit um but the great thing was is that the more we talked about it, the more we talked to drag queens uh the more we realized like oh actually drag queens are kind of already doing a role-playing game and role-playing is also kind of drag already um, and so, you know, it seems really unusual to bring those two things together. But as, soon, as we brought them together, we're like, oh, wait, they're like made to fit together. And yeah. Kind of perfect. So, so you said you didn't have a lot of experience with D&D. So are you the game master for the podcast or our player? Yeah. Um, so my first time DMing was on stage for 100 people. Uh, oh, wow. 
<laughs> a little terrifying. Uh, but that was, you know, we're like, let's see if this works. Uh, so what happened was uh, we put together just the concept for the show. We reached out to some people because I'm very active in the LGBT and drag space here in Seattle. Uh, so reached out to friends and was like, would you be interested? And sure enough, some of them were. Um, and so then I just had a couple weeks to get up to speed as fast as I could on how to DM. Um, and with a lot of help from James, uh, who's a real expert here, um, and uh, listening to some podcasts like Adventure Zone and watching Critical Role and Force Gray, um, you know, I, I kind of tried to model as best I could uh, other people whose work I liked. Um, then the night of the first show came, and I get up there, and we had our adventure. We do all homebrew adventures and had the adventure in front of me, and we had, like, a ton of notes. I had um, probably, like, 80 pages of notes for a two-hour show. <laughs> But I needed it all just in case. Just and, in case, exactly. Yeah, and it was it was a it was a hit. And uh, there's a lot of things that I was really fudging as DM at that point. But the audience had a good time. The queens had a good time. Yeah. We put on a good show. That's hey, so great. Again, it's the motto: if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Yeah. Um, so I have chat pulled up. I will try my best to kind of filter through. I don't know if you can see it or not. Uh, to kind of you know let you know what's going on. So to chat, if anyone out there has any questions for myself or for Matt, uh, feel free. I, we will do our best to answer them. Obviously, keep them you know topical. Um, and we have we reserve the right to not answer them if we don't want to, but we usually can. Um, so a couple of people have jumped in. So not animal tested. Um, oh, good. Hello. Uh, I'm familiar with Not Animal Tested. Uh, I don't know if it's Gibby or Gabe, and then a bunch of numbers, 314159, which is that like pi, the first six numbers? Um, Tordian EQ. I think that's everyone so far that has said hello. Uh, and they thankfully let me know that no one could hear you, which would have made a terrible episode. Because uh, <laughs> though I do like to talk and would have monopolized the conversation, I think more people might be here for you than for me. Oh, so that's nice. So this makes some interesting, uh, for me, the way that you're coming at it. Because clearly, again, I don't know much about the culture, but I'm going to make some assumptions that, that being drag is a performative you know, thing that you're doing. So rolling into a podcast that's an actual play that's entertainment, I can definitely see how those would marry up. Mm -hmm. So was there something about DMing that was harder or easier than you thought, maybe because of your background already as a performer and as an entertainer? Yeah, I would say, and you know, I, I don't do a lot of um, outside of this performing myself, so I've never actually done drag. Uh, I'm, I uh, produce and I document. Uh, I've done a lot of photography and I support drag queens uh, with, as a um, media person, uh, kind of behind the camera a lot. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable on a mic and on camera, uh, but it was really like the drag queens that I wanted to put front and center uh, as they're, they're the heroes uh, of the story. Um, but yeah, and to answer your question, like stuff that um, was difficult and unexpected, I would say like one of the biggest challenges that I've run into, and it's something that I'm still trying to learn to be better at, is listening and talking at the same time. It's really hard <laughs> to do that. Uh, but, you know, it's a big challenge is listening, not just to like, what are the literal words they're saying, but also what is it that they're trying to do? What is exciting to the players and the audience? Mm -hmm. um, and reading between the lines of like, okay, they said that. What do they mean by that? Yeah, I think, and we've, again, we've been in the show for many years and our goal was to help people more than anything start playing. Uh, I, I, I kind of consider our show to be very sort of basic introductory advice. If you've never played before, we'll help demystify what it is. We'll get you started and you'll get better over time. 
but one of the things that I, I tell people a lot, but I have no idea how to actually teach is reading the table is paying attention to your players and figuring out when someone is really engaged and excited when someone is maybe, maybe a little bit bored or maybe there's some content happening at the table to make someone uncomfortable. And I, I don't know how to tell a person to do that other than to say to do it. Um, so is there anything that, that you have learned that has maybe like a, a tidbit or like an epiphany of now I'm doing this better? Yeah, gosh, um, I, I'd say like one of the most helpful things um, that uh, actually like a, a whole bunch of things are like uh, crashing into my uh, mind right now. Uh, so um, one useful things uh, was like a conversation that James and I had. So James, my partner, is a, games, a professional game designer and was talking to me about um, the reason we call RPGs RPGs is like there's the role playing and the game mm -hmm. and there's the role play of um, who, the character that you want to create and I mean and this is why it works so well with drag is you know both in drag and D&D &D, you kind of start by asking yourself if I could be anybody who would I be who am I in my imagination um, and so the role playing is so important but also the game is so important so you're really tracking two different um, systems there's there's the role play and the character and like the the, the who am I and and, and playing a role uh, but then there's also the nitty-gritty number stuff of the system and like working within the toolbox that D, D gives you and you know so you're not just like well um i have decided to climb vertically up the side of a building and i did it uh no you, you have to roll let's mm -hmm. see how you're, let's see how this this goes uh and if you fail it's because um the system is created is there to create interesting challenges um so uh, one of the things that really helped me understand how to put on a good show and be entertaining at the table was to remember to balance those two things, the role play and the game, and to make sure I'm not letting one of those things dominate the other. Um, I'd, I'd say that was that's probably, like, of all the things I've learned, and, and there's a lot, um, that's probably a big one. Um, another is actually going back to, I do a lot of work with journalism, uh, and, and, uh, I write for various news outlets and I've, uh, worked with NPR and Rolling Stone and uh, to do coverage usually of LGBT issues. Um, and one of the lessons I've learned from that work is the importance of a, it, it's basically a formula. And once you know it, you can't help but hear it everywhere, particularly on NPR. Uh, the formula is action, detail, punchline, reflection. Um, you start with some action that, uh, ideally there's some conflict uh, involved of, mm -hmm. of somebody coming up to going to a goal but coming up against an obstacle then you fill it in with some detail then there's a resolution like in music when the music resolves uh, in, 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 a, in a song um, there's a punchline there uh, and then you have a little reflection after it and what I found is like good stories whether I'm like writing an article or doing a piece for NPR or at the table you start with like okay what's the action what's the story what's the, the challenge here let's fill it in with some details. Now let's resolve it with the punchline that, you know, usually escalates things. Mm -hmm. uh, and now let's just like have a moment to reflect on how things changed and what it all meant and why that was meaningful. Um, so that's, you know, those are, those are probably the two of the bigger lessons that I've learned in the process of doing the show. Um, oh. And those are things that I've, I've brought in from, um, from James's expertise as a, as a game designer and from my expertise as uh, as a writer and journalist. All right, so I have a question for you, but uh, before we get to that, Gabay314159 um, has a question for you. Um, have you thought about bringing Queens of Adventure on the road outside of the US? Uh, they are catching up on bonus episodes, but so far they believe they've all been domestic. 
Yeah, so uh, there are a lot of challenges to that. Uh, we do do some road shows in the U.S. right now. We've done uh, San Francisco and L.A. We're looking at a few other cities. Um, as soon as you, like, unfortunately, as soon as you cross, like, an international line, uh, things get complicated. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we've got Vancouver right in our backyard, and we'd love to go there. And uh, we've got a lot of friends in Toronto, and we'd love to go there. And we've got friends in the UK, and we want to go there. Uh, but, you know, it's just one of those things of, like, um, you know, we just want to do a, a wacky, goofy comedy drag show with, with dragons. But also, like, as soon as you, like, get on an airplane or, you know, cross that, that checkpoint, suddenly they're like, okay, and here's 3,000 forms you have to fill out. <laughs> so we just need to... We, we'd need a little help to make sure we're following the law and we're not like setting something up that like we're going to get raided for um, some sort of international, causing an international <laughs> incident, taking our, our Dungeons and Drag Queens uh, where they where they weren't supposed to go. But we would love to. The answer to that is we would love to. I, I love doing those live shows and I love going on the road, especially when we can involve local queens. When you do our um, San Francisco show, uh, we have a totally different cast. So our cast in um, Seattle is... Uh, just fabulous players. We've got Arson Nikki, Freya Love, and Butelino Kipple, and some other guests who come in and out. Then we go to San Francisco. We've got Poya Del Mar and Kai Kai B. Michaels and Rockham Sakura um, and um, Erica Clash. Uh, and we've had Kitty Powers, who's a UK drag queen, uh, come in sometimes. So we love like customizing each show to the group that's going to be there, uh, which is again very it's very drag show because sometimes your lineup changes uh, very abruptly, and it's also very D and D where it's like okay, uh, who can make it? Who can make it on Thursday? <laughs> yeah, big party will be. Yeah. So no current plans, but you're open to the possibility if everything lines up perfectly. Yes, yes, we would love to. And we're always like looking for opportunities to do that. So if folks have recommendations for venues or um, performers that they'd like to see us work with, please let us know. We'd love to like, uh, I was just talking to some folks in Portland about like venues that might be good there and talk to some queens in Chicago who would be interested. So we're, we're still like kind of building the Rolodex of places and people to be involved with. Okay, and I'm, I may be jumping to the end, but if someone wanted to try to give support monetarily, do you have like a Patreon or something people could help support? Yeah, we do. Um, so everything's at queensofadventure.com. So we love chatting with people. We've got a Discord link there to chat with folks. We've got a Twitter link there. And uh, we've also got a uh, Patreon. And we're really grateful um, to all the supporters. We got the show, the podcast started uh, with a Kickstarter because we want to pay our performers and pay the artists. We have um, artists who do art for the show and musicians. Uh, so we want to make sure that we're supporting queer creators and, and getting them paid. So we're really grateful to everybody who supported us on Kickstarter and Patreon. They really make the show possible to do. Excellent. Uh, Gabay, thank you for the question. And anyone else, again, if you have questions for Matt or myself, uh, shoot, we'll do our best. Um, so, Matt, a couple other questions have come to my mind. Because, uh, again, I'm trying to wrap my head around how all this has worked as well. So are, do you now consider yourself a, a gamer? Do you play outside of the show? Yeah, well, I've always felt like, I mean, maybe not always, but like I've been a consider, I would consider myself a gamer for a long time. Um, as a kid, uh, you know, NES was a big part of our lives. And um, I had a bad experience with TTRPGs uh, as, as a youth, uh, where one of my friends wanted to play, I think it was Vampire. Um, I think and it, like brought over a, a manual, maybe it was d d it brought over a manual and it just turned into like, a couple hours of us just sitting there silently reading the manuals and never actually playing. Yep. And so that turned me off for a little while. But, um, you know, as, as I got into like high school and college, I wasn't gaming as much. But then when I got out and, and James and I uh, became a couple, um, 
you know, games were just always a part of our lives. And so he's very good at like bringing a game home and being like, I think you'll like this. <laughs> and, uh, he's always right. Uh, so um, I've, I, for a long time, I consider myself a gamer in terms of like, you know, I like Dragon Age, for example, or mm-hmm. um, when I need to relax, Stardew Valley. Uh, but when we started doing the show, I hadn't done tabletop seriously ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was really delighted by how easy it was to just get involved. Cause I thought like, I was thinking back to that experience when I was 12 of like, Oh God, it's just like three hours of reading silently the, the manual and not understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I found is like, you can just dive right in. And the same thing with our Queens. Most of our Queens have never played D and D before. And you just pick it up. I mean, it's really like what they learned was it's an improv game mm-hmm. and they all do that every time they get on stage. So so like so get to it basically now i again i've been playing now over 30 years i started when i was you know i think just before i became a teenager and that's just the way it worked it wasn't right or wrong that was just the way it worked is we we got the books and when we wanted to try to show the game to someone else we would just give them the books and say read them we're gonna play Mm -hmm. next friday come with a character and and we expected them to read it to understand it to create their own character and come prepared and looking back, that is such the worst possible way to try to teach anybody anything. Mm. Um, and it's one of the things, again, some people love 5th edition, some people don't. 4th edition, again, I don't. we don't get into edition wars here. We don't care. I personally find 5th edition a very easy version of the game to teach. Mm-hmm. And I've sort of developed my own method of teaching. And it's pretty much just start. Uh, and I'll explain the rules as we need them. So the mm-hmm. first thing we're going to do is role play. The very first thing is like, you sit down. What's your character's name? What do they look like? Is there anything interesting about them that we would know if we've been hanging out with you on the road for the last two weeks? And and then we just start playing. And when they're like, okay, I want to hit the orc with my fist. Like, okay, great. Here's on your character sheet. This is the dice you roll. High numbers are better. And then mm-hmm. again, we kind of just move on. And, and as the rules are needed, we just explain the bare minimum. Because for me, at least the way I run the game I have a lot more fun with the role play. I'm much more of an RPer than a GR. Uh, so I'm going to have a lot of fun. And then if we mess up the rules, again, if we skip the rules, whatever, uh, if you're hooked and you want to come back, then we can be a little bit more worried about if the rules, you know, actually building the character correctly and that kind of stuff. Uh, but I've absolutely found the way just just dive in and start having fun. You're much more likely to get people to come back to the next game. Um, go ahead. I think that's true. Um, you know, something that I think we've, found is you really just need one person there ideally the gm who uh is the the person who knows what's going on i think we all have like the friend who like when you pull out the board game the friend who um picks out the rules and is like okay i'll take it from here Mm -hmm. like as long as you've got that one person uh who really knows the business everyone else can be kind of like maybe uh, half paying attention and maybe they've got a beer in their hand and maybe they're not really getting it but the one uh person at the table who can say like Okay, now now it's a it's a it's a D it's a D seven it's a D eight. So go ahead and roll the D eight. That person could just be like, oh, okay, thanks. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's having that having having a rules person there is is nice. So that you know, this is something we do with the shows. We really don't put a lot of pressure on the queens to, you know, you really you, you have to know every like intricate in and out of uh, how this game works and like how, uh, you know, we've been we've been playing for like a year and a half now, and they're still getting the hang of some of the more. Um, obscure stuff mm-hmm. like I mean, not even that obscure but like one of them just used a reaction uh, on their turn in combat and i was like oh oh you used a reaction already. 
it's so clever. Uh, I was just delighted by it. So, you know, we don't put a lot of pressure on them to, to be complicated players. They're there to be funny and to tell the story. Uh, and, and I look at myself as, as the DM. My role is basically to, to run the world. And, you know, that means having stuff like the laws of gravity is, you know, I, I'm in charge right. of that. Yeah, so and I will say I, I completely agree that you just need one person at the table who knows the rules, but I don't think that has to be the DM. Uh, mm. when, part of the reason why this podcast exists um, is I had a, a friend of mine, he started playing D&D with me, and he wanted to run the game, but he didn't know the rules. And I'm like, that's fine. You run the game. And I'll do the rules for you, you know, and we kind of created a safe space and uh, a couple of handpicked players who were, you know, okay with that type of game. And he ran a fabulous game. And again, that's where the motto comes from is he was like, you know, is, you know, am I doing it right? I'm like, we're all having fun. So you're doing it right. And the fact that he didn't know the rules at all did not impact our enjoyment of the game at all. So the only reason I bring that up is if there's anyone who's listened to this now or in the future who thinks this would be fun to do, it is jump right in. You don't need to know the rules. Just someone does. And, and even then, they can only be half right. You know, again, yeah. roll a d20, high numbers are better. That's enough to start playing the game. <laughs> Pretty That's much. That's it, yeah. That's really it. We're going to tell a story. Sometimes we roll some dice to see what happens. That's kind of, that. you know, that usually when we start, when we do a live show, we tell people, if you don't know anything about D&D, don't worry. We're just going to tell a story that takes place in our collective imaginations. Sometimes we roll some dice. Big numbers are good. Yeah. That's it. That's pretty much it. Um, so one of the questions I have, um, because the show started before as a live entertainment show and has moved to a podcast, what has that transition been like? Is it easier? Is it harder? Um, you know, because I imagine not being in front of an audience would relieve some pressure, but there's also some energy that you're missing. Like in a live show, you've got the audience there that I, I just feel like you're getting, you know, their energy and their excitement, their laughter, hopefully at the right places. And then when you're in a room, you know, assume a room together, maybe over the internet, I don't know, but like any pluses or minuses from going one to the other? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like not having the audience there um, definitely affects the energy. So we have to be very intentional about like keeping things, um, Exciting. I, you know, another tip, I think, like an important thing that I learned was uh, from Sly Flourish's guide, uh, The Lazy Dungeon Master. Uh, and I think the second book, The Return of Lazy Dungeon Master. I, I think, think so. Um, and so that book has like a lot of great advice uh, for putting together a session that runs well fast. Uh, and one of them is to make sure you have fantastic environments. And uh, I think that extends to just about everything that happens in the game. There always has to be a sense of adventure and fantasy and bigness. And so, you know, sometimes I'll make a mistake. This actually happened recently where, you know, I'm they're in a cave and I'm describing a cave. And it's just like, this just looks like a realistic, ordinary cave. And so, you know, in hindsight, I should have been like glowing mushrooms or weird sounds or, you know, giant beetles or, you know, just keeping it make sure there's stuff there that mm -hmm. is actually fantasy and exciting um with the live shows i will say we do a lot of like um physical stuff that doesn't translate to a podcast so we'll have drag queens doing lip syncs and uh costume related games and uh, a lot of audience like going out into the audience um and we uh, sometimes we'll have like the audience describe different parts of a monster and then we put them all together and have basically an audience created monster that the queens have to fight um, so that stuff's super fun with a live show. With a podcast, we can tell more of a um, coherent story. We can have more of a crafted narrative. Because mm -hmm. uh, we're going, like, we're coming up on a year that we've been in this story arc that we're in. Um, and there's a lot of, like, this, this was a challenge for me, actually, to learn, was um, 
paying off on stuff that was set up. So setting stuff up early and keeping it active in the world so it can pay off later. Um, so, I mean, it's great when that happens. It's super exciting. And, and um, you know, I, I love having those moments where, where people are like, the audience can say, oh, that little thing that you, that happened like five episodes or maybe, you know, even like we're on episode 22 right now. That happened like 15 episodes ago. I see what was going on now. Uh, that's really fun, but also so hard to do. Um, yeah. we, we really had to, you know, we're, we're still learning how to get like adept at editing just to like take out like the dead moments at the mm -hmm. table where we're like, um, hold on, let me look that up. Um, or, oh wait, actually uh, you, I, I, I actually said that you were indoors. So we're going to just like, let me say that over again with like the ceiling over your head instead of the sky over your head or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a bit of, um, craftsmanship that happens uh on the podcast that that we don't get to do on the live shows because the live shows are just kind of like they're the wild west of you know we just gotta go there's no time to like look stuff up or right. uh, uh we're just going now i it's one of the things again we it, here at the show we do a lot of like um advice and opinion type shows but we also have a whole bunch of actual plays and i, I actually i had no experience with it but i feel like one, I feel like I'm pretty good now at editing, and I actually really enjoy it. Um, there's a lot of control that I've gotten over the stories. I feel, you know, it's, it's again, I'm not the mad power going to my head, but I can, like, remove a line of dialogue to add tension that wasn't there in a scene, but it still makes mm -hmm. sense later. Uh, you know, I've, I've cut jokes out that were hilarious. that broke the table, was laughing, but it made no sense in the moment, so it's mm -hmm. gone. Uh, and it's just, I don't know, I, I find a, an interest in the different experiences that we have at the table. We all have fun. And yet the crafted experience that the audience gets to hear and how sometimes those are vastly different. Yeah. I will say occasionally um, the I found that the queens who we play with can sometimes get into a bit of a, uh, a wardrobe loop where they're just describing their outfits uh, for far too long. And so sometimes like that's something that we do in the edit is we're like, okay, how many times do we need to describe the buckles that you're wearing? So we'll, you know, we might like snip out one or two of those. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, the, the, the emphasis is always on like, what's, what's exciting. What's fun. What's, mm -hmm. what's the story and the drama here. Um, and, and I would say that's, you know, something that I'm still, that I'm still learning. Like, you know, it takes a long time to get a good sense for that. Uh, but thinking through like um, the, Basically, this is another important lesson I think that we learned in making the show is, or that I learned at least, is the importance of cause and effect. Um, I mean, like that's all that a story or D and D is is based on. There has to be a lot of like meaningful, meaningful choices. I think it's is it Sid Meier who has, who talks about like the series of interesting deci decisions is um, you know the, the the thing that makes a, a game really work. Um, so um, having uh, exciting things that happen in the game as a result of player actions uh, is just is so important. So that's that's you know when I was talking earlier about like punchlines and payoff, mm -hmm. uh, that's what I'm talking about is is making sure that there are payoffs to the player decision that the world responds to what players do, uh, and it's it, you know it's super fun. And you know when the characters are describing their outfits, maybe there's not like much that the world can do about that. But uh, you know when they're doing something like for example, one of them wanted to chase. They were there. There's a, a moment um, many episodes ago. No, no spoilers for people who haven't listened yet, but there's a moment where one of them is high up on a building and they wanted to chase someone in the distance and their idea to get to the character who's off in the distance was just to jump off the lighthouse. And I'm like, okay, well, we're going to play this out and 
see how, what, how the world responds to this. And so there were some roles and some very clever last minute use of spells that um, allowed them to jump off the lighthouse and not die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there, th- that was a, a highlight because I was like, well, what you're doing is very unexpected. <laughs> but also as the DM, I have the tools here to see what happens. So let's let's grab some of these tools like we're gonna we're gonna roll uh dexterity for how you're gonna be like you, you, we're gonna do a deck save basically uh and uh you're using a, a spell this is a character who had shape water and she was gonna try to use shape water to uh freeze a um a ski jump for herself on the way down i was like okay that's probably not exactly in the spirit of that cantrip but it's fun and goofy and we're having fun so let's See yep. what happened. Yep. I absolutely believe in trying to say yes as often as possible. Uh, and this is just a Michael philosophy that there may be a time I say yes to something that if we think about it too hard could be game breaking that now everyone who has this cantrip can do crazy things. But I'm just going to say no next time. Like if it's in the moment and it's fun and it's cool, it'll be okay. But if you try to abuse that or like another player's like, well, because they were able to do that, I'm now going to be able to win every fight. It just doesn't work that way anymore. We don't know why it worked that way that time. It's a mystery, but it doesn't. So, because I'm all about trying, you know, it doesn't mean that the characters always succeed. You know, there is drama in failing, but I would much rather them jump off of the, the lighthouse than not. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to try to encourage that as best I can. Uh, I was running a game fairly recently. It was a new Monera game. Uh, I don't know if, you've, if you're familiar with that one or not. I haven't played it. I'm familiar with it, but I haven't played it. Uh, so in this particular scenario, the characters are on like, it's like a sand skiff. It's basically a boat that floats on sand. And mm-hmm. uh, it was skimming across. And then at the beginning of the game, I always want to try to get people off the boat. Like that's the, the goal is to get at least one person off the boat because there's going to be some drama. And five minutes into the game, I'm like, all the players are off the boat. I needed just one because they all thought it would be interesting. It was, but it completely changed what I was trying to do. Uh, Cause you know, it's always fun to have like one person off the boat. They try to throw a rope. Now they're skiing. And, but when they're all off the boat, a little bit different, but for me, that's the fun as, as a DM, I get to play too, because I have to react to what they do try to make it make sense, try to keep it fun, but not just devolve completely into improv and, and there's no game. I'm like a 80-20 improv role play to game, but you still need a little bit, I think. Yeah, that failure, like you were saying, um, it's something that I think sometimes is referred to as being a mean DM, but um, Adam Coble was actually talking recently about being a fan of your players, mm-hmm. and being a fan of your players means giving them an opportunity to do what's cool, what's what they're great at, yeah. and they get to do what's cool and they get to be great when you throw challenges at them. And so it's not mean at all to be like, uh, you know, you take damage or you can't sneak past the guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been a-, a lot of times when the Queens tried to do something on the show. And, um, you know, there's one where uh, one of our players, Freya Love, was uh, trying to, gosh, what was she trying to do? She was trying to sneak in to a building and she was in disguise and uh, I had a role deception and didn't go well. And uh, she wound up uh, kicking a imp and creating a distraction by like kicking him like a football. Uh, and so like, it just got so much funnier and sillier mm-hmm. and weirder because it didn't work. Uh, and, and it let her really be the star of the scene mm-hmm. um and that's uh, you know that's uh, i think adam's advice adam Coble's advice about being a fan of your players uh is really great uh because your players are really cool and they'll surprise you and surprise everybody 
Uh, so given those chances to, to impress even themselves. A- absolutely. Uh, you know, I would add that, um, that the punishment for failure doesn't need to be death. Like mm-hmm. I- I'm a big believer that you don't have to have a deadly game to have stakes. Again, I watch TV shows all the time. The main characters never die, but you're still engaged in their stories. Um, mm-hmm. cause I think it's more interesting for a character to live with failure than mm-hmm. to die because in the game you're just gonna roll another character like you might be sad if you you know you really love that character but you'll get over it your next character will jump in and it'll be forgotten but if you have a character that fails and then something in the game world happens and their character has to live with that failure there's a lot more drama and interesting i believe to be mined from that than oh now you're dead let's roll a new character yeah. We had a, uh, in combat, we actually had a player roll extremely poorly on, um, I think it was a grapple. Yeah. So, oh man, there was just like a series of bad rolls and there was a grapple. And I, again, I don't want to, you know, no spoilers for folks who are, who are listening. There was a grapple and then somebody had a, um, a potion was involved and we were not planning uh, a basically a life-changing failure for this one character uh, that really like completely changed the course, the trajectory of what was going on. But um, they roll badly and they could not do what they wanted to do. And their adversary had an opportunity and um, the fallout from that has really shaped the narrative going forward in ways that we didn't expect. Um, but again, it's it's allowed them to really stretch their limbs creatively uh, and become heroic in ways that we didn't anticipate, they didn't anticipate, but um, failing changed who they are uh, and made them so much more interesting. Yeah. So uh, Gabay314159 had asked, um, earlier you were saying that sometimes as the story has gone on, some elements were planted that came back a few episodes later. Uh, so they were wondering if there were any cases where elements were planted, but then as the story went on, the, the queens did something unexpected, and then maybe those planted seeds don't make any more sense any longer. Uh, any examples or like, is there, have there been any ways you've been able to like bring them back in a, a different way or something like that? I, I'm hoping yeah. that's the question you were asking. <laughs> Yeah, we've, we've, we try to be pretty economical with, um, like, story stuff. So, uh, you know, not, like, introducing a ton of stuff in the hopes of, like, well, maybe that'll pay off later. Um, but, of course, the players are always going to surprise you. And, like, one of the surprises is, like, what they want to focus on. Um, so there was a um, part of the world that we were not expecting them to go to when they decided that it was time to go to there. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, so that map's not been drawn yet you can't go through that door sorry mm-hmm. um so uh what we did was uh really frantically like um there's a there's a, a teacher here in seattle uh named uh, ethan schoonover uh who does technology at lake washington girls middle school and also started a D club and D classes at the school and he talks about uh the importance of minecrafting uh, by which he means that thing in minecraft where if you like fly up really high and look out at the horizon you can see that it hasn't drawn things in yet um and as a dm you want to be like planting the trees just beyond where the players can see uh so we planted trees just beyond where they could see it just like frantically laying yep. down that uh that landscape for them and uh you know part of being able to do that means knowing your world really well um so like when they do decide to go someplace it's consistent uh and isn't like confusing or suspicious uh but yeah and, and you know um i will say like one of the fun things that we were able to do in terms of speaking of paying off was uh, there was a moment where the we could tell that the players had misunderstood some things, and 
uh, had theories about what was going on that were partially misrememberings. Uh, fortunately, as a podcast, we've got everything on tape. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we had a uh, we we found a a fantasy way uh, for their memories to come back to them. Uh, in a way that was literally us playing recordings of previous sessions to them uh, to get them back on track and be like, here's what actually happened. Um, so that they could actually, you know, get a little refresher and the yeah. audience as well, because, you know, we're, we're every two episodes or every two weeks we have an episode up. So sometimes people forget. So uh, we did kind of like I wouldn't call it a clip show. Exactly. It was, it was a show that used clips, but mm-hmm. like, sparingly just to like tweak everyone's memory and be like, here's what's going on. Here's what you decided, even if you might not remember it exactly, um, and use that to inform your decisions going forward. To um, just be, uh, you know, to, to to remind you of story threads that that you set up or that we set up or that that were interesting and then got dropped. Um, just as you know, a recalibrating mechanism. Yeah, the, we actually talked about that fairly recently on one of our shows. Uh, it, there's part of me as a DM, like I absolutely love it when a player latches onto some small tidbit, even if when I said it, it, it wasn't supposed to be important. It was like a throwaway, like, you know, the, the blacksmith is left-handed. And then later the fact that the blacksmith was left-handed is very important. Uh, but we also play the game maybe once a week, maybe for three hours at a time. And mm-hmm. there can be months of real time that transpires in what is two hours in the game world. So I, I'm not the type of DM that will punish my players if they like if they're supposed to meet their contact in the tavern and they cannot remember that person's name, I'm just going to tell them. Because their yeah. characters would not have forgotten that in the fifteen minute walk over here. But my <laughs> players who have been on vacation with their family two weeks, maybe they did. Uh, right. Now there's a type of game if you're if you're going for really high jink and hilarious, maybe it's like a Mr. Bean level funny if they say the wrong name and then there's like two conversations going on, like they're talking to someone over here thinking that it's the Thieves Guild Master, but the Thieves Guild Master is talking to someone else. Like that can be funny, but if that's not what you're going for, I don't believe in punishing the players for forgetting stuff because of real life situations. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I, we usually do the same thing. Um you know, it's a judgment call. Would the character actually remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, there are times, you know, the episode that I'm working on right now, uh, there's there's a moment where um, an NPC says something about the Nine Hells, and one of our characters is a tiefling. And so, you know, I just let her know, uh, Butylene, as a tiefling, you know this fact and this fact and this fact about the Nine Hells. Uh, you know, because I mean, that probably has been said at some point in the last year and a half, but... You know, time goes by and people have lives. Yep. Uh, but if it's something that, you know, might have been like some incidental detail that they might not have caught, uh, then, yeah, I might have them roll history. Mm-hmm. If it's some detail about, like, you heard some lore about something that happened a thousand years ago. Um, and, uh-oh, you as the player didn't take a note about that. Uh, well, roll history. to Let's see if you remember. <laughs> yeah. And and then, I mean, it's one of the things, it's, it's like a weird sort of judgment call, because sometimes I will just tell them, and sometimes I won't. And it's just like, what do I think is the most interesting version of this story? Mm-hmm. Uh, do they know it? Do they not know it? Do they remember it? Do they misremember it? You know, I've got a bunch of options uh, to decide from, and I'm going to lean towards the one I think is the most interesting in this moment. Hopefully I'm right, and hopefully the players agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to touch on first. I want to let uh, again everyone know. Short man Ian four 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 has joined us. He's one of our regulars, a friend of the show. He's here a lot. So thank you, Ian, for jumping in. Um, and there was some conversation a little bit earlier about 
how deadly games can be. I mean, we're talking about, you know, death doesn't have to be a, a consequence. Um, and someone was asking about like olden times, I guess, but at least for me, when I first started playing, absolutely the games were deadly. And my goal as a DM was to set up a mathematically precise challenge that was built based off of who the character's abilities and that kind of thing. And then just let the dice go where they may. And if, if the characters lose, they die. Like that was just the way that it was played vastly different now for me personally. And also I, I think for many people, especially newer players coming in based off of podcasts and streams and actual plays, I think there's a lot more of a, we're going to tell just this crazy adventure story uh, aspect. That's not uh, the same as before. Not to say people back in you know the seventies didn't play that way, but I think more people played that way than do now. So there's like a cultural shift. That's just me talking out my wazoo, though, so I don't know if it's true or not, but that's my experience. Yeah, I think that's that's certainly like the approach that we've taken. Um, you know, for one thing, because the players come to us with – they're playing characters with the same names that they use on stage. So you know, we've got Arson Nikki, the drag queen, at our table uh, and at the live show, and we're not going to tell her like, oh, uh, Arson Nikki, the character on the show, died, and now, Arson, you're dead, and like – that's not our character to kill necessarily. Uh, that having been said, like if we had a conversation with Arson, the performer, and said like, you know, what would you think about character death? And she was like into it, then that's something to explore. Yeah. And, you know, also because death doesn't have to be permanent in D&D. Exactly. But we also want to be very um, considerate to the players uh, and not be like, hey, uh, so this character that you've, this name that you've been performing under for like 10 years, uh, we're going to kill that. Yeah. <laughs> That wouldn't be okay. Right. That having been said, um, you know, we have done adventures where they're playing someone else. Mm -hmm. And um, when the Ravnica expansion came out for D&D, uh, we did a bonus episode uh, that was uh, part of the podcast of Ravnica where we had yeah. – uh, you did that too. Yeah, we did that as well. Yeah. Um, so um, in that one, they created completely new characters for Ravnica with new names and new backgrounds. And it was just for that one-off. And – um, nobody died, but I think they could have, and mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been as traumatic as um, right. your very significant, like personally significant alter ego is now dead because you had a bad role. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're familiar. There's a, a movie, Oktoberfest. Um, are you familiar with that movie at all? I don't think so. So there's a character they call Landfill, and partway through the movie, Landfill dies. And then five minutes later, his brother, who's him again, and they just call him Landfill 2, and they just keep going like he was always there. Um, right. So we make that joke in our games. Like, if your character dies and you just want to keep playing the same one, we'll just call him Landfill 2 and move on. Um, okay. So, so just depends, again, how you want to go with the game. Um, so, again, I'm loving all of this. I know you said you had kind of a list. Is there anything else, like any other lessons learned or just, you know, tidbits that you think might be worth sharing? Yeah, you know, the, like some smaller things um, that I, I learned kind of early on is beware of starting sentences with and. It just kind of like slows down the pace. I mean, it's such a small thing. Okay. But this was a tendency that I had was just to be like, and then you go over there and the person says to you this line of dialogue and you know what that means. And now you're going like the, the ands just got a little repetitive. Okay. Um, and then like a bigger thing for me, I'd say well, was. Let me interrupt you just for a quick second. Uh, because I, I have a piece of advice, I think. Did you realize you were doing that because you're editing the show and you heard yourself saying that over and over again? Actually, um, that was something that James noticed uh, before I noticed it. But what I noticed myself doing that drives me crazy still when I do it is uh, using the word that. Okay. Uh, 
So, um, you know, I'll often say something like, and you can see that that aquarium is still there. And that person that you spoke to earlier, like the, that um, presumes that the listener is as familiar with the thing you're talking about as mm. the DM. And as DM, you're more familiar with the world than anyone, ideally, if you're doing sure. it right. Yeah. Uh, the DM is more familiar with everything. So everything is like that, and you know, that thing, like, oh, that thing again. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because you're, you're sort of an expert. You're the, you're the god of the world. Uh, but players and listeners are not familiar. So when you're like, oh yeah, that, uh, you know, uh, CEO of the, of the company, and people are like, wait, what? The who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, even as little as like if you're playing in a combat and you're in an mm -hmm. audio podcast and a player says, I'm going to attack that one over there. Mm -hmm. No one listening has any idea what you're talking about. Right. Uh, but the point I wanted to get to is, is one of the big pieces of advice I give people is you don't have to start a podcast, though why not? Everyone does and it's fun. But if you can record yourself running your game and then listen back to it just mm -hmm. to hear yourself running the game because you will very quickly pick up on things you do well that you want to lean into and some things that you don't do well phrases word choices uh, sometimes you can tell you know i had to repeat three times because no one understood what i was saying so my descriptions weren't good or man everyone was just really on that as soon as it was their turn they knew what to do so i had them you know excited so what was i doing then that i can repeat I'm a big believer that if you can record yourself playing the game, listen back just to help make you a better DM, whether you ever intend to release it in any way or not. That's great advice. Yeah. I mean, we're recording for the podcast, but um, I would say there's a real benefit to listening back to the job that you do and like listening to, are my players confused mm -hmm. or are they impatient and bored or like, or more importantly, do they love this? Like what, what is the part where they're really excited and their voices go up? Uh, cause that really, um, another actually piece from the dungeon master's guide is you start, not the dungeon master's guide, the, um, uh, lazy dungeon master is you start planning your session by thinking through what are the things that my players love most? What are they great at? Uh, and then build the encounters around that. And you can really get a sense yeah. for that from, from listening back to the mm -hmm. recordings. Right. So I apologize. I, I kind of cut you off to get that point in. Do you remember what you were going for? Um, yeah, one okay. of the other things that I learned was uh, to beware. This is a very um, this is a very writerly thing to notice, but beware of gerunds uh, in your sentences. Uh, so don't end your verbs on ing. Uh, uh, you know, not, not that's not a hard and fast like never do it rule, but um, it's a red flag if you're like you're walking over to the to the to the counter. It should be you walk over to the counter because that continuity that is implied by the ing. This is such a small like nitpicky grammar thing mm -hmm. but you know the birds are circling in the sky the birds circle in the sky you want to make things immediate and impactful and not have it be something that's just like happening around you when you have it be an immediate verb uh you know the the scorpion attacks rather than the scorpions attacking it makes the, like the order of things okay. a little bit frantic. So, I mean, it's such a small thing, but like watch out for INGs. No, again, great advice. Something that you may not even realize you're doing, but if you can listen back to yourself, you might pick up on it. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I was curious about, because another one of the big pieces of advice that I, I do it now, I didn't use, used to do it, uh, but I'll resource my table a lot for, you know, they want to go to a place like, hey, you know, we walk into the temple. Do we see anyone? I'm like, I don't know. Do you see anyone? And I'll ask the players to fill in details of where they're at, who they know, what what's going on. Even like 
you know, what's some secret you know about or a rumor you know about this person? I imagine with drag queens being performers and improvers, they would be good at that. So is that something you do in your games? Yeah, improv is such a big part of drag and also such a big part of D&D. Uh, and I love turning it over to the queens for things. Uh, one of my favorite things this is something that we picked up from Critical Role is having them describe their killing blows. Mm -hmm. It's so fun when they finally get that HP down to zero on an enemy uh, to say, tell me how you kill them. Uh, they get, like, players get so mm -hmm. happy when they get to have a killing blow. And I will say, actually, uh, on a recent episode, um, I asked one of the players, uh, Butyly, and I asked, how do you kill this enemy that you're fighting? Uh, and she had a great description, and she put, like, some really gruesome flavor onto it that, for her, was just, like, a fun description but there was a germ of an idea in there and we were like let's run with that and it turned into like a major plot point just like the method of her death and uh you know I, i'm being a little cagey about about this because i don't want to spoil it but um the the way in which she killed an enemy uh is really going to change how things go forward um so turning it over to the players for that kind of stuff and also you know i often ask them what they're wearing trying to keep that under control because we could be here forever yeah. uh, <laughs> or you know i'll ask them stuff like um to oh we just had a character who was knighted and we had the players um give that character their their knight name and also name that character's blade uh so it's re it's really fun to like have the npcs turn to the players and say what do you think it should be called or what do you see in this room? Uh, you know, or, mm -hmm. or they're they're there to be creative. Drag queens are great at like going out on stage with you know um, a little bit of hot glue and a prayer. <laughs> so around the table, uh, let's let's see if I throw a question at you. Let's see how what you can come up with and how fast you can keep up. Yeah, I think the killing blow is is a is a great like starter to getting players who maybe aren't comfortable doing that because I know mm -hmm. some players who who literally just don't ever want to do that. Like they just. That's not the way I play the game. You control everything as a DM. They want to believe if they open a door and there's a key behind it that I knew the key was there first and that they didn't get to make that up. It just changed, it destroys their, was it, verisimilitude. But I found most players do enjoy that. And I found that actually asking them to explain what their failures look like can be more interesting than successes. Uh, because I always use the example, like if we have, let's say we have a barbarian trying to climb a wall and for whatever reason, I make them roll, because normally I wouldn't, but I do in this case, and they fail, no matter how they describe it, as long as they're on this side of the wall, they can make it look like however they want. If I describe it as the DM, I'll probably go for the easy joke and say they fall on their butt. Uh, you know, you're on your keister as the orcs attack. Uh, but I like to think that maybe the player will be like, you know, I just, I picked a bad route. I didn't look up the wall. I, I started climbing. I got to a point there's just no way to go, so I had to climb back down. Those are two very different types of characters, and one tells me a lot about them. That, like I said, we can mine for later. This is a very impulsive person. They don't think ahead. They can get themselves in trouble. I can use that versus, ha-ha, you fell on your butt, you know, orcs attack. So if that's not something you're doing, again, to you, Matt, or to anyone listening, if you feel comfortable, start asking your players. You know, you, you're attacking a goblin. You're level seven. You should have killed the goblin, but you missed. Why did you miss? Like, what happened there? And you'll be surprised sometimes at some of the interesting things they'll come up with for an in-game reason why, you know, they faltered for some reason. And, yeah. and I love to mine those for story hooks for later. 
Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, I, 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 it never occurred to me um, to have them describe their failure because it seems a little like um, <laughs> I don't know, kind of rubbing their noses in it. But they're great about describing their successes. Mm-hmm. So like, let's see what they come up with for failure. Yeah, try it. See if it goes well. Obviously, you throw it out if you want. But uh, I have found a lot of positive success with asking them to describe failures as well as successes. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're closing in on our hour. So we've had a few more people jump in and out of chat. Not everyone has said hello, but uh, I think there might be some more people listening. So uh, one more time, I'll throw it out. If you have any questions for myself or for Matt, uh, please let us know. And uh, while we're waiting for chat to catch up, one more time, Matt, where can people find you, find your show, anything else that you'd like for them to know? So everything's at queensofadventure.com. You can listen to episodes. We've got a mailing list there where we announce live shows when we do live shows. You can also join us on Discord to chat with us between episodes, uh, find us on Twitter, uh, and also support the show on Patreon. So queensofadventure.com has everything for the show. Uh, And then for all my other projects, because I do some other podcasts and YouTube videos and stuff like that, you can look me up uh, mattbaum.com and mattbaum on Twitter, M-A-T-T-B-A-U-M-E. And then just for me, uh, sometime between now and next week, send me a link for or an email with any links you want included, and I'll add them into the show notes when this goes out. Sure. Um, so any one last thing, you know, sharing tidbits and things, lessons learned, is there, is there one more you'd want to touch on, again, while we're waiting for chat to catch up with any questions I might have? Hmm. Um, I would say, uh, you know, the one of the biggest things that I learned, this, this took me actually about a year to really get the hang of, is meaningful changes are so important and but what i mean by meaningful changes because we've had a james and i've had a lot of conversations about like what that means um but uh changes in, in when the players take action i guess this goes back to cause and effect what i was talking about earlier but when players do something it has to materially affect the world that changes that that responds to their change or that responds to their choice their decision um uh, in a way that uh, that actually matters. You know, it's one thing to be like, well, all right, well, I put on the blue dress today and people compliment my blue dress. Okay, that's fine. But, um, you know, it needs to be something that that really alters the way things behave. So, like, I put on the blue dress and a spy mistakes me for their contact and I get embroiled in some intrigue because they thought I was somebody else. Uh, you know, the, the choices need to, to have, like... Um, real impact on stuff that that changes the course of the story uh i I think that's that's one of the biggest lessons i've learned and very hard to do on the fly because you're listening to your players you're thinking three steps ahead uh you're also keeping in mind all the rules of the game of like um you know oh no was that supposed to be um intelligence or wisdom oh no (laughs) you know uh so there's just so much going on but uh, i would say like meaningful change the importance of meaningful change like uh, that's really the rewarding thing for the players is seeing like i press the button now what happens now what happens uh and i would say that's one of the maybe the benefits of of the way this game generally works where you play for a few hours every week or two that you might be able to think about something like i didn't i didn't use the fact that they put on the blue dress but now that i've had a week to think about it i can add that in now mm-hmm. um so there's a chance that even if you don't in the moment if you don't think of it if you miss maybe an opportunity doesn't mean it's gone forever you you can still try to link that back in uh, maybe even do a little bit of retconning. Like, you know, we left here, but we're actually going to go five five minutes back and we're going to start mm-hmm. before you walk through the door and pick the story up. And then, you know, again, I think most players are going to be fine with that. And for the podcast podcast audience, they'll never know. Um, so I had a couple questions that came in. Um, one of them, uh, I'll start with you, Matt, and give you some time to think while I answer the other one. Uh, do you have any rewarding or treasured gaming moments? 
So while you're thinking on that, I will answer Wash's question. Uh, yes, I'm going to Lexicon this weekend. I am running Numenera, D&D, I think Shadow the Demon Lord or Marvel. I'm running three or four different systems. I was coming down Friday, but no one signed up. So I'm, I'm just coming in Saturday. But I think I'm running four, four things. I believe it's Marvel Superheroes, D&D, Numenera, and Shadow the Demon Lord. So definitely more than just D&D, but I honestly don't remember right now. Okay, so back to you, Matt. So do, could you think of any rewarding or treasured moments from gaming that just sit with you and make you smile when you think about them? Yeah, um, there was uh, a moment uh, at the very end of a session a couple months ago where um, the players were formulating this intricate plan that they thought they were being so they were being crafty and clever about it um but the one thing that they didn't know one of them was invisible and thought that she was getting and so far she was getting away with sneaking into an environment um and the players were just giving each other like nonverbal signals while there was an enemy present and they were like okay we've got them fooled and uh nobody knows what we're up to and the invisible character is going to be able to like sneak around and do all this stuff what they didn't know is that the enemy had telepathy and knew where everything <laughs> was and what they were thinking. <clears throat> and so when that was revealed telepathically, um, the collective shock around the table was so deeply rewarding. Um, it just, it, it like, it fills me with joy to this day. Uh, the, the pulling the rug out from under them, not in a way that it wasn't a cheat and it didn't feel, feel unfair because there were indications that maybe this was possible. Um, but uh, yeah, there was just like enough of a hint that they didn't pick up on um, that when it was finally revealed, it was like a really rewarding moment of, oh no, this changes everything. And we just made things so much worse because we thought this was happening, but it actually was that. Yeah, that, that's awesome. That, that could be a great moment. Uh, for me, you know, I've been playing so long. I'm sure that I'm sure I'm forgetting a thousand moments that would, I, if I could remember them would make me smile. But a couple that have fairly recent. I, I'm a father. I got two kids, uh, nine and almost eight. Now we've we've started playing with them last couple of years, and um, we started playing a game called No Thank You Evil. Again, it's by Monty Cook Games. It's like a that's a well, even more rules light version of Cipher System. And uh, when you play that game, because it's designed to play with kids, it has, they're like little paper standy minis. So they're not the pewter or molded plastic, they're just like a little paper. But they're very cool looking, very evocative. And one of them is like a, a, a boy dressed like a wizard, got a robe and a staff. And there's like a, a cat on his shoulder, but the cat is made out of bubbles. And for whatever reason, my oldest son just latched onto that. And he started playing that game as the bubble wizard. And he's basically Green Lantern with bubbles. So he That's makes great. bubble bridges. He makes bubble animals. Everything is just an extension of the bubbles. And it, I love that he does that. And again, I don't care what the rules say. That's what happens. And mm -hmm. I just love feeding into the fact that he loves that he can just create these bubbles. And sometimes he makes them stronger so they can like, you know, float him up like Magneto in a bubble and make bubble walls, all kinds of crazy stuff. I love that. Um, and then the other one would be with the other son that we, they were both playing together. It was the first time we played actual D&D. Because uh, we start with No Thank You Evil, it's a little easier. Uh, so we decided to play D&D together, 5th edition. They both played Wizards, so they're the Wizard Brothers. And um, the first time we actually rolled a die, he got a natural 20. 
So it was like, I made the biggest deal of it, but he still thinks that that's just how the game works. That like, you just, you know, cause we only rolled the dice like four times the whole game. And his first one was a natural 20. And I don't think they failed anything that first game. So they have a very skewed idea of how the game works, but they both really like it. And they keep asking, like, they actually want to play more than I'm willing to run. Cause and this is getting way into my psychology, but I'm kind of afraid of screwing it up. Like, mm-hmm. I'm afraid that I'm going to give, like, a bad session, and then it's going to ruin this thing that I want to be such an important part of our lives. Uh, but when we play, we have a lot of fun, and I'm so excited to play those games with my kids. So those are the easy answers for treasured moments for me right now. But uh, thank you for the question, Short Man Ian. Thank you to anyone else on all the other questions. Um, so, Matt, any final words before we wrap this up? Uh, gosh, no. I think uh, thanks for having me. And uh, our sign-off for the show is uh, it's a riff on a RuPaul uh, slogan. Uh, we And uh, all of our shows with Sissy That Roll. And so uh, I guess that's what I'd leave you with. Excellent. Though, so thank you very much. To everyone in chat, we're going to do the awkward wave out. Again, this will be an audio-only version in a couple weeks. Um, and if you're new to this show from Matt, please go back and check out some of our other episodes. We got like 600 episodes of actual plays as well as advice and opinion shows. Very positive. We try to just get people playing games and having fun. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy. Or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.